I'm not going to lie, I miss those seemingly never-ending evenings of summer in Idaho. You know, like the month of June when there's so much daylight, you can tuck the kids in bed and still have time to sneak out for nine holes. I mean, (laughs) I miss those days. And thankfully, they're coming back soon enough. They'll be here again. But we all know that there's a There's a danger with those days where it's so easy to lose track of time, isn't it? We've probably all had that experience. You're over at somebody's house, right? You're you're on the back porch. Everybody's having a good time. The kids are playing, and and the the temperature is just right. And you're like, yeah, maybe we should probably get home. What is it, like 7.30? 9.45, right? We've all had that experience. And then you start thinking, man, we got to get home. We have to get the kids in bed. I got to be at work in the morning, right? And you lose track of the time because you just take the daylight for granted. You think it really is going to go on forever. Well, today we're going to see Jesus warn people that the light they're experiencing is about to pass. And he calls them to action in light of that. And, you know, proverbially, it feels like the the sun is shining today. Here we are gathered as a church, uh, being able to open up God's word and study it. That's a good thing. But I know I'm concerned, even as we look out at our culture, how much longer is it going to be as acceptable as it is now to actually follow Christ and to love what the Bible says? The, the night is, is coming. But more than that, I'm also concerned about the people who, who come to church every Sunday and they hear what Jesus is saying and they hear what Jesus is calling them to, but they never really respond to it. And they act like they just are going to have forever to kind of contemplate what Jesus is saying and whether or not they're really going to choose to embrace it. When the reality is, night is coming. The truth is, we don't know if this might be the last Sunday that we are here. And Jesus, we're going to see today, is calling people to action in light of realities like that. So please take your Bibles and open them up to John chapter 12. And we're going to look today at verses 20 through 36. And as you're turning there, just to set the context, last week we looked at the triumphal entry or what we know as Palm Sunday, where Jesus comes riding into town on a donkey. They're waving the palm branches. So this is now during Passion Week or what we refer to as Passion Week, that final week leading up to the Passover when Jesus will be crucified and then will rise again on Sunday. But what we're going to see today Uh, We don't know exactly uh, when, we've got ideas, but at some point during that week in Jerusalem, the the following happens, and look along as I read verses 20 through the middle of verse 36. It says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Jesus went and told Philip, Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So we see that warning, that urgent call to action that Jesus gives there at the end. But what leads us there, and it starts with some Greeks, and it's apparently some Greeks who have come to worship and to participate in the Passover. And that brings up a lot of questions about what was really going on with these Greeks, and it doesn't give us a lot of details. They find Philip, and it seems possible that they go to Philip and He had the most Greek name out of any of the disciples, and he was from Bethsaida, a town that was in a more kind of Gentile part of Galilee. Maybe they knew Philip. We we don't know. But they say, hey, we want to see Jesus. And so Philip gets Andrew, and they go, and they tell Jesus, and Jesus responds by saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Time out there. We've seen Jesus say that phrase Many times now in the book of John, except every other time it has come up, Jesus is saying, my hour has not yet come. Going all the way back to chapter two and his first miracle of turning water into wine, right? When they come to him with the need, he says, what are you coming to me for? My hour has not yet come. But now his tune is changing. Now he's saying the hour is here. And what hour is that? It's for the son of man to be glorified. That's what is going to happen. Well, what's that glorification going to look like? And that's where things kind of take a twist. Where Look at the glory he starts describing. The next verse, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He uses this analogy. If you've got a grain of wheat, it's not going to do anything on the counter. It's not going to do anything in a bag like It has to die. You have to bury it in the ground. And then, only then, will it actually bear fruit. There's a sacrifice that has to happen for this to bear fruit. And it's interesting. Then he starts in verse, jumping ahead to verse 31, he starts talking about a victory. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. It's like, all right, yes, Jesus riding into town, the king, he's going to defeat the enemy. But then he says in verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And that, verse 33 says, he's talking about being crucified. He uses the phrase lifted up to describe the death that he is going to die. 
And the crowd, they start scratching their head at that and saying, well, how how is that going to work? And you see that Jesus is linking his glory to the suffering that he is about to experience. And I think he very intentionally chooses this play on words, even when he talks about lift it up. Because that phrase, lift it up, you know, we think of figuratively as we praise the name of Jesus. We want the name of Jesus to be lifted up, to be lifted high. And he's saying, well, I am going to be glorified, lifted up, when I am literally lifted up from the earth on a cross. Jesus is trying to explain to them, my glorification is going to come through crucifixion. My victory is going to be the result of suffering. And the road to glory goes through sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying about himself. And point number one today, if you take out your note sheets and and follow along with us, point number one, we want to behold the suffering servant. Behold the suffering servant. There is something that the disciples, there is something that the crowd still is not quite getting. They're, They're not understanding the nature of the Messiah. They don't understand that he will be a suffering servant. They say, wait a minute, we thought that the Christ is supposed to remain forever. How how in the world can he be crucified then? What kind of son of man are you talking about, Jesus? And again, like we talked about last week, there's some reason for them to be scratching their head at this. We're going to look at a couple different verses in the book of Isaiah. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Isaiah and start in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll see, I mean, This is not a dumb question that they're asking. If you were there, you probably would have been asking the same question. And we talked about these specific verses even at our Christmas Eve services just a few weeks ago, starting in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then look where it goes. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So they're not crazy when they're saying, wait, I thought the Christ was supposed to remain forever. They're probably thinking of, Verses like Isaiah 9, 7. Wait, wait, wait. No, his kingdom is supposed to last forever. There's supposed to be no end to him being on the throne of his father, David. And now I want us to turn to Isaiah 52. 52. And you're probably familiar with some of the ideas and phrases from Isaiah 53. But that's a part of a a section that starts at the end of chapter 52. And we're going to see some of the same connections even that Jesus is making in John chapter 12, as we look at Isaiah 52, the the, kind of that section that goes into 53 starts in chapter 52, verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, right? There we start to see, hey, Even what Jesus is saying, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be, in one sense, lifted up. Now, what's that going to look like? Verse 14, 
As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. What is this son of man being lifted up going to look like? Well, you're barely going to be able to recognize it because he's going to be beaten so badly that he barely looks human. That's the idea here. We see in one verse, exaltation. We see in the next verse, suffering, sacrifice. And we see more of that very famously going down to verse 3 of chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it describes in shocking detail, hundreds of years before it happened, the suffering of Christ. It even describes how he goes silently to the slaughter and how he, his grave is with a rich man, something that ends up being fulfilled. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's an interesting phrase. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. That even there, even in the midst of his suffering, he's going to see, hey, his work is being accomplished. And I think we even get a taste of that. If you go back to, to John, we're going to realize, yes, the ultimate suffering is about to come on the cross, but Jesus is also in the middle of suffering. But here he is in the middle of suffering and his soul is seeing his work being accomplished and it's being satisfied. And what's the trigger for all this? It's these Greeks coming to Jesus. That's part of Jesus's mission. John 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, one of the things we saw him say was, I have other sheep that aren't of this fold and I'm gonna get them and bring them, bring them in. And in chapter 11, even John writes how Caiaphas didn't understand what he was saying because Jesus was going to die for the sins of nation, but not just for the sins of the nation, but for all, right? That it's something bigger. And Jesus, in the midst of his suffering on earth, he's already starting to see, look, it's happening. What I came to accomplish is being done. We needed, though, a suffering servant. And kind of like we talked about last week, why couldn't he just have come in and conquered the enemy? Why did we need the donkey. Why didn't he just, why can't we just skip ahead to the white horse? Because what we need to realize is if Jesus is coming in to, to defeat the enemy without him being the suffering servant, that's a big problem because we are the enemy. We are the ones who have broken the law of God. We have been disobedient and we deserve punishment. And that's why we need a suffering servant who would come and be perfectly obedient and then take the punishment that we deserve. 
And I want you to see why you often just think of Jesus' suffering on the cross, which is obviously true, but the Bible describes even his whole time on earth as suffering. Hebrews says he learned obedience through what he suffered. That he had to deal with temptation. Living that perfect life was, was suffering for Christ on this world, bearing a, a human body. And then he took the punishment that we deserve. He is our perfect sacrifice. He is the suffering servant. And we need to understand it was very real suffering. Even before he's on the cross, Jesus is suffering. We see that in John 12. Again, when you look at verse 27, he says, now is my soul troubled. That's a strong word that he uses there. And then it says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? And you notice if you have the English Standard Version, there's a question mark there. Well, that, that question mark isn't there in the Greek. And there's lots of people that make the argument, there shouldn't be a question mark when we translate that into English. There should be an exclamation point that Jesus is saying, Father, save me from this hour. And if you're like, oh, Jesus would never say that. Oh, really? Think of what he says in all the other four gospels when he goes to the garden to pray. He goes to the garden to pray. And this is how, it, this is how Jesus describes himself. He says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. That's how Jesus described himself in the garden. And he goes and he falls on his face to pray. And it says he's sweating drops of blood. And this is what he prays. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He's pouring out his heart to God. And he's saying, are we, are we sure there is not another way? But there he famously says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Or here, after he says this in verse 27, he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That he was committed to suffering. He was committed to laying himself down. And he talks about, let this cup pass from me. The reality is there was a cup, a cup of God's wrath for sin. And it has to be downed by somebody. And really, it's a choice for all of us. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be you. And Jesus willingly submitted himself to that suffering. He drained the cup of God's wrath so that you and I could be forgiven and free and made right. And Jesus, even as he says that, Father, glorify your name, God answers from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the reality is you will glorify it as well. We will be praising the suffering servant forever. God describes the scene in heaven. Look at some of these passages from Revelation, Revelation 5. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then one verse later in verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. There is no good news without the suffering servant of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel message. Jesus, the suffering servant, is our perfect substitute. But one thing that I want us to see in this passage, Jesus, he's talking about himself, but he also makes it clear, I'm not just talking about myself with this whole suffering servant thing. I'm setting a pattern for you, my followers, my disciples, and the people that are going to follow me. Look again at verse 24 in John chapter 12. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And we see how true that is of Jesus. But he instantly pivots to kind of share that same reality with his followers. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. He must follow my example of suffering. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus is laying this out as a pattern for you and for me. Point number two today, we need to follow Jesus's path of sacrifice to glory. Follow Jesus's path of sacrifice to glory. And he uses strong language In verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, Jesus is is not talking about what you and I probably experienced at some point in our life when we're frustrated and we're like, I hate my life, right? And worst day of my life. What do you think, right? We've all experienced that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And even these languages of love and hate, Jesus elsewhere says, hey, whoever doesn't love me and and hate even his own family is not worthy of me. It's it's kind of an ancient idiom, really talking for a a choice. What choice are you making? Are you choosing this life or are you rejecting this life for my sake? Jesus uses this language all over the gospels. Luke 14, 25, if you want to jot that reference down, starts a whole section where Jesus says things like, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he makes it clear. And the punchline of that passage down in verse 33, Jesus says this, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He's saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to renounce all that you have. And there was a lot of confusion that we see in the Gospel of John about what does it mean to believe in Jesus? There's so much confusion today about what it really means to be a Christian, but Jesus is making it very clear. You want to follow me, you've got to let go of everything else. That's, that's the terms that Jesus is making clear. And he even uses kind of that language of terms of surrender in that Luke 14 passage. He is calling us to surrender. And we even think of, you know, that that old hymn that says, I surrender all. That is the cry of every Christian's heart. I remember reading a blog from a worship leader a long time ago, you know, where he was like, I I can't even say I surrender all with a clear conscience. And I get what he was trying to say, but I was like, wait, let's back up a little bit. If you can't say I surrender all, then you're not a Christian. Because that is directly what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to surrender all, to follow him. It's crystal clear. He makes that point repeatedly throughout the Gospels. 
What about you? Have you made that decision? Have you surrendered all? Have you let it all go to follow Jesus Christ? That's a statement that we must make. And I get at the same time, none of us are perfect in that. And we all have room to grow even in that statement. And part of growth as a Christian even is God revealing things you didn't even know you were holding on to. So you can again say, God, I surrender and I give it over to you. That's a huge part that we grow through as a Christian. But the cry of every Christian is, God, I'm giving it all. What I want is Christ. That is what I need. And we think about that statement that Jesus makes, you know, of the grain of wheat falling into the ground. And then it, if it dies, it bears much fruit. And we've seen that be true throughout history again and again of people that for them, it really came down to, they had a choice set in front of them. You can follow Jesus or you can die. Or you, you, you can really renounce Jesus or you can die. Like th- these are the choices that we're forcing you to make. You're going to follow Jesus or you can keep your life. What's it going to be? And many faithful Christians throughout the millennia have said, we're going to follow Christ, even if it costs us our life. And we've seen God use those kind of sacrifices to bear incredible fruit. That's why the saying goes, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's been true throughout history. It was true in the Roman Empire. We saw ways that it was true in, in the Reformation. We, we saw it's true even closer to home. Just in, in Nampa is the headquarters of Mission Aviation Fellowship. And probably the most famous person that was a part of that organization was a guy named Nate Saint. You've probably heard of him. But he was a, a young person who had an interest in, in flying and aviation. He decided, I'm going to use this to serve the cause of Christ. And he ended up with in Ecuador with four other men. One of them was named Jim Elliott. And they set out to reach this tribe that no one else had been able to reach. Because basically this tribe had said, we would like to be left alone. So leave us alone or we'll kill you. And most of the people said, fine, we'll leave you alone. But these men said, no, we can't leave them alone because if we leave them alone, they will die without knowing Christ. And they need to know. So this group of men, they tried to reach this tribe. And Nate Saint was a big part of that, flying that plane. He was able to fly these tight circles kind of over this opening where then they could kind of drop things down in a bucket to these, uh, to these natives in this area. And they were trying to make contact. And eventually they, they landed the plane close to where these people live, trying to make contact with them, trying to get to a point where they can share the gospel with them. But because these people still weren't sure where, where these gringos were coming from, they, they killed all of them. All five men were killed by this tribe when all they were trying to do was bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on one level, doesn't that look like a failure? Doesn't look like that look like a waste. Like, man, they didn't ever even got the chance to share the gospel. And all these guys are, these young men are dead. And they're leaving wives and, and, children's, and children behind, right? If I came up here to plant a church with five other families and we all died in the, you know, the first year of, of doing that, I don't think people would think of this church plan as a success. But we look at them and we see, hey, even through their death, so much fruit was born. And you think even about that, that tribe, in the wake of that, so many of those people ended up giving their lives to Christ. And in fact, Nate Saint's son was baptized by the man who had killed his father, who had come to Christ. They were willing to give it all for the gospel. 
And God used that. And not to mention that with that tribe, how many people have been inspired to make sacrifices in their own lives because of the example of these men? If you look at the back of your worksheet today, I recommend books every week. And today they're all about people who made sacrifices. They're all biographies of people who made sacrifices to serve the cause of the gospel. I'd encourage you to to get one of those books and and read it or read other books like that and to get your kids even acquainted with people like that that have made sacrifices for the gospel. One of the books there, Tortured for Christ by Richard Richard Wormbrandt, he was a prisoner in Romania, imprisoned because he was committed to sharing the gospel. He was committed to evangelizing even when it wasn't allowed by the communist government. So he spent 14 years in jail and he was brutally tortured again and again because he would, even in jail, he would not stop trying to share the gospel. And again, from a human perspective, you think, oh, what a waste. But no, you know how many people were won to Christ? And even these Christians that were being persecuted, that were being beaten, do you know how many of their torturers ended up giving their lives to Christ? Because they see these people that will follow Christ no matter what. There's no testimony to the truth of the gospel quite like that. When people are really willing to give everything for Jesus Christ, people see that and they know there must be something true about it. When deep down the communists knew what we're selling is a bunch of lies. These people, they're holding on to something true. And these Christians weren't in these jail cells plotting a violent overthrow of the communist government. They were just saying, we're going to be faithful to Christ and we're going to follow his example and we're even going to follow his teaching of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us. And God did use people like that to bring down the communist government and to bring many people to Christ. We need to look at some of our big brothers and sisters and see what they have experienced in following the examples because for so many of us, that hasn't been our experience. And if you're concerned about increasing persecution in our culture, in our context, then I'd say, well, you're probably paying attention then. Because I do think that is what's coming. But I don't know exactly when that'll happen. I don't know what that will look like exactly or how it's all going to go down. As I like to say, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I even work for a nonprofit. So I don't know all of those things. But what I do know is what Jesus says. And what I do know is we have so many examples to look at. And we need to kind of put ourselves in perspective. You know, when some of these older brothers who are, and sisters who are in heaven, they're going to be looking at us and be like, oh, they won't let you use Facebook anymore? Well, look at these scars that I have for Christ. Right? And it puts, who knows what, what's going to happen or how we're going to experience it, puts a lot of it in perspective. And will people in this room someday be called to make that ultimate choice of, I can honor Christ or I can keep my life? I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like. But one thing I do know is that you're not going to be ready for that day, if and when it comes, if you're not ready for tomorrow. Because what Jesus is saying about following his example and laying our lives down, it's not just true of of martyrs and people that face situations like that. That's what he is calling you and me to today, this week. He is calling us to renounce all that we have and follow Christ, to give up our own desires 
to love and serve Jesus Christ. Just think about your daily life. Think about your relationships. You know what Jesus tells you to do? He says, hey, in love, I want you to consider others more important than yourselves. I want you to put everybody else's interests ahead of your own. That's Philippians chapter two. And you know what it uses as the example? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who he gave it all up to serve. What are you going to do? That's what Jesus is calling you to do today. To, when this church service rack, wraps up, look around this room and say, everyone else here is more important than me. To go home and think, everyone else here is more important than me, and I'm going to give up my desire to serve others. Even think about your, your homes. And husbands in the room, do you want to be honored in your home? Do you want to be respected? Do you want to be the leader? I think you do. And I don't think that's, that's wrong. But what Jesus is saying, okay, the path to that is through sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's true in that relationship. That's true in so many relationships. We need to realize that so much of our anger, so much of our anxiety, so many of our problems get back to we're making it about ourselves. We're looking at our situation and saying, well, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't right. What about my desires? What about my feelings? What about my rights? What about me? Aren't you glad that that's not what Jesus was saying in John chapter 12? Aren't you glad what Jesus was saying was, Father, glorify your name? Aren't you glad that what Jesus was saying is, Father, not my will, but your will be done? And that's what Jesus is calling all of us to say this week, when it's a conflict in your marriage or it's a difficult situation at work or there's somebody that's just really difficult in your life to love, he is calling you to say, not my will, God, but yours be done. And we're never gonna be ready for the ultimate day of persecution if we're not doing that faithfully this afternoon, tomorrow, this week. And let's be clear, that's not easy. That's the struggle all of us face in this Christian life. Jesus did it perfectly. How? And one thing I hope you see, we even see it in through the Gospel of John, one reason he was able to submit so completely to the will of the Father was that he trusted the Father so completely. That we need to realize, hey, I'm willing to renounce all I have to follow Christ because ultimately I know Christ is going to take care of me. I don't need to take care of myself because he has promised that he will do that. That's why the old hymn says, yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease, just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. I'm looking to Jesus for all those things. So my own sinful desires, my own selfish motives, I can give those up. And I can trust Jesus to give me everything that I need. And Jesus, his example, when he says, Father, glorify your name, there's a voice that answers from heaven saying, I have glorified it. I will glorify it. Well, this week, when you deny yourself to honor Christ or to love somebody else, don't expect to hear a thunderous voice from heaven. But there is something else that you, I think you'll experience. 
And if you want to see that, go to Romans chapter 8 real, real quick with me. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. It's different language, but it's a very interesting parallel to what we see in John 12, where he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you love your life and your desires, you're going to lose it. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If we, if we hate this life, we will keep it for eternal life. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so when you sacrifice to serve Christ this week, don't expect a voice from heaven thundering through the clouds, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What I think you will experience is the spirit whispering that to your own heart, that there is an assurance that comes. There's a sweetness that comes when we sacrifice and submit ourselves to the will of the father that comes through the assurance of the Holy Spirit. Whispering to our own hearts, bearing witness with our spirit. Yes, I am a child of God. And God is pleased, even though this is hard for me. God's pleased. And it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There, there's the same idea. The path to glory is through sacrifice. And it's right here in Romans. It's there in John. It's all over the New Testament. Jesus has made the clear example. He is the suffering servant that suffered for our sins. He is calling us to follow his lead. And as we go back to John chapter 12, he's clearly trying to close the deal. He's making an urgent call, not just to his disciples, but now to the people around, to the people that have heard them. He's using words like now, now is the judgment of this world. And the ruler of this world is cast out. And I'm, I'm drawing all people to myself. And he's calling people to a response. And, and they clearly don't understand. And we see part of it is, you wonder, why doesn't Jesus give them a more direct answer in verse 35? Why doesn't he just say, guys, no, the, the, the Messiah has to suffer. Isaiah 53, go look it up. Why doesn't he say that? Well, I think he doesn't say that because he's, he's been saying those things the whole time. He's been making it clear his whole ministry. And so again, we see, I don't think the problem is they just don't understand at all. I think part of the problem is they're unwilling to respond. And so he gives them this urgent call. The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. There's an urgency to that. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. The, the darkness is not where you want to be. While you have the light, believe in the light. That you may become sons of light. Now, there's obviously some unique things going on here where Jesus knows he's going to be crucified in a matter of days and his public ministry will be over. But I think there's also an urgency in ways that we need to think about this, ways we experience the light of Christ right now. And we need to heed Jesus' warning. And point number three, I want to encourage you to listen to Jesus before it's too late. Listen to Jesus before it's too late. One of the reasons why we chose to go through the Gospel of John, kind of early in the life of our church, we started at the end of our first year. Now we're starting at the very beginning of our third year as a church. But we wanted to be very upfront. We need to be clear about who Jesus is. 
We need to be clear about what it really means to follow him. So let's go through the gospel of John. And there's many of you, you're coming week after week. You're seeing everything that we're seeing in the gospel of John. But for some of you, you've still yet to make that response. You have yet to say, God, I'm letting go. I'm giving up control of this life, of of my desires to follow Christ. My encouragement is walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. That we don't know how much time that we have. So don't count on, well, I've got more time to think about this. And even that image of darkness overtaking you, that's another thing we see in scripture that at some point that God does say, hey, you want the darkness? You can have the darkness. And he gives people over to pursue the desires that they really want. The desires of this world. I mean, think of a house that is on fire. You're in a house that's going up in flames. And you run to that second story window and there is a firefighter on that ladder ready to rescue you. But you say, oh, there's one more thing I got to go get. And you go back and you get it and you, oh, wait, there's one more thing I got to go back and get. And you keep doing that over and over. Well, there's going to come a time where that one more thing is going to be the end and it's going to be too late. And the flames will overtake you and overtake the house, all because there was one more thing that you couldn't let go. And I wonder, especially as we go through the gospel of John, which is so just very upfront. And he even says, the reason I'm writing this book is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and have life as you believe. That there's people that are coming to this, this church every week. And Jesus is there saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Believe in me. And there's people every week saying, ah, Just one more thing I got to go get. Just one more thing. Just one more thing. And I don't know when it's going to be that the darkness overtakes you. And that one more thing is going to be too late. When Jesus is right here, right now, calling for everyone, give it up to follow me. Yes, you might lose this life, but you're going to keep it. You're going to find life that lasts forever. Pray that God would work in our hearts and those here that have never responded that today would be the day. And for all of us, that we would be challenged by the example of Christ. We all have have work to do this week when it comes to, God, I want to lay my life down to follow Christ and to serve him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He was slain for us, God, so that we could be redeemed. And God, not just us, just all over the world, Jews, Gentiles, slave-free, God, the call of the gospel goes out to everyone because of this lamb who was slain, who is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. God, we do pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted up among us. And God, I do pray for those that every week they come and they hear the word, God, and we may not even know who some of these people are, but in their own hearts, God, they know that they're still holding on to something. There is still one more thing they they feel like they can't let go of to truly follow Christ. God, help them to see the urgency of that situation. Help them to give that up, to put their faith and trust completely in Christ and to follow him. 
And God, I know that there is not one person here today that can say that we're doing this perfectly. God, the, the, the struggles that we all face with our flesh and just with our own selfishness every single day are difficult, God. And I pray that as we leave here today, we'd be faithful to lay down our own lives, to lay down our own desires, to consider others as more important than ourselves because we ultimately think that Jesus is worthy of all of that. God, and I pray that you would prepare us, Lord, for whatever, whatever comes in our culture, whether it is times of peace or whether it is times of persecution. God, may we be ready to be faithful no matter what, God, because our trust is in our heavenly father and our trust is in our savior, the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. We don't care what the world throws at us because we know we have life in him that can never be taken away. So give us that faith. Give us that assurance even, God. May we hear the whisper of the spirit this week that confirms, God, just our own sonship, our, our own inheritance with you, God, as we make hard choices to follow Christ. And may you do something great through this church and in this valley, God, as many people turn from their sin to trust in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.